Welcome to Rich in Relationship. And today we're going to talk about having an alcoholic spouse and how to leave them and also how to protect your children from them in the process. So let's start with what is an alcoholic parent? What's the risk of being married to an alcoholic? Alcoholism is a disease. Let's start there. In case you haven't heard or you don't know, alcoholism is, alcoholism is a disease and it's not necessarily the fault of the alcoholic, though they certainly have responsibility for their own actions and their own behaviors. As the disease progresses, they are more and more at the mercy of their addiction. How does that work? Uh, it starts out with, well, baseline. All human beings have a certain predisposition towards addiction. It's all over our culture. It's all over our gene pool. It's been going on thousands and thousands of years. So addiction has woven its way, I would say, through the family lines of every family on earth. So why aren't we all drinking and shooting drugs? Well, an awful lot of people are, but why are all of us doing that? The reason is that the predilection towards addiction needs to be triggered. Like anything, it needs to be triggered. It can be triggered by cultural influences. It can be triggered by family influences. It can be triggered by stress. It can be triggered by crisis. And usually it's a combination of these things. And it doesn't start out, it's not like all of a sudden, bam, someone starts acting like an alcoholic. Though the experience of many alcoholics that I've worked with is that when they had that first drink, they knew it was magic. It didn't mean that they were drinking all the time right away, though that does happen sometimes. But mostly the stories I've heard working in the field of addiction, which I did for several years, is there was a progression. So it would go like this. At 16, somebody might have a beer with some friends. And that first beer is incredibly exhilarating for them. And suddenly they feel very relaxed. Uh, all their life they felt apart from and different, like they didn't belong. Uh, they felt inhibited. They felt unto themselves. And when they had that first beer, all of that just went, ah. And so there was a hint that there might be a predisposition to alcoholism in that experience. But they, didn't, they don't go running off, drinking their heads off at age 16. It evolves slowly over time. And as it evolves, they become more and more focused on getting their drink. And as they become more and more focused on getting their drink, people become less and less people and more and more objects or tools to getting what they want until they're at a point in their life where uh, maybe they're drinking heavily and the people around them are like, what the heck is going on? Who is this? And typically the way this goes is they'll start with uh, binge drinking very intensely and there'll be big gaps. So if, let's say they had their first drink at 16. By the time they're 18, they've gone to some parties and really hit it hard. Uh, by the time they go to college, they have a lot more regularity on hitting it hard. 
and the gaps between hitting it hard get smaller and smaller. So first drink at 16, uh, next uh, drink might be 16 and a half, a couple of more drinks up to 17, 17 to 18, they look older, their friends are starting to drink, maybe over the course of 17 to 18, they get drunk a dozen times or 24 times. By the time you get to college, however, they might be getting drunk every week. But it's not interfering with their functioning necessarily. So they're getting absolutely faced, which is not unusual in common uh, in college, excuse me. And, uh, but they're, and they're maybe doing it once a week, possibly even twice a week, but they're still functioning. They're still going to classes. They're still getting grades. They're interacting with their fellow students as people they might be meeting their future wives in this environment or future husbands in this environment. And then as they move on in life, those periods get closer and closer. Or maybe what happens is when they start working, they find out that getting drunk hard twice a week isn't gonna work. So they try and control it. And then the pressure, the emotional pressure builds up that, and because that drinking hard releases a lot of emotional pressure. And then, they're off to the races for like a week. So instead of drinking hard a couple of times a week, they're not drinking for a few weeks and then they can't stop drinking for a week because there's so much to relieve it. Think of it as like a volcano, the emotions building up and up and up. And when they hit that phase, they really don't think that much about their children. They really don't think about their wives. They don't think that much about their boss. They just think about what are the pieces that we need to have in place to drink, to keep drinking. And you would think, right? You would think, that they would notice the progression. Oh my God, what's going on here? You would think that. But the other part of the disease is they have an internal dialogue. And the internal dialogue is saying, it's okay, I can handle it. I've gotten through this before. I can get through this again. This, this is different this time. Or maybe the internal dialogue is, that first drink is not a problem. So I'm just gonna have one. And then they think, all right, I'll just have one more. All right, I'll just have one more. and then. You know, by the third or the fourth drink, they're off to the races and there is no more trying to control it. Somehow the denial works in this way. The alcoholic believes that this time it will be different, even though historically it never has been. All right, so now you understand the alcoholic. How does somebody marry someone like this? Let me tell you the story of my friend Mindy. Uh, we're going to talk about Mindy and Mark. Mindy met Mark in college. They went to an expensive college, you know, one of those $50,000 a year colleges, back then $50,000 a year. Now, actually no, it, back then it was probably more like 15 or 20,000, $20,000 a year, $25,000 a year. Now it's like 70 or $80,000 a year, maybe even a hundred depending on the college. College has gotten very expensive. Mindy and Mark met and fell in love. And back then Mindy drank too, because that's what people did in college. And Mark seemed like he could handle his alcohol because he was functioning well. He was getting decent grades. He had prospects. Mindy and Mark fall in love. They graduate from college and they decide they're gonna get married. They get married and they move in together. Mark's drinking pattern changes, but he's still relating to Lindy, uh, Mindy as someone he loves and someone he cares for. The way Mindy related is they got out of college. Mark was responsible. Mark got a great job. Uh, he got a job selling because selling very often alcoholics get into sales because selling is something you can do periodically also to and if you take time off from it you can go back and pick it up again so uh, alcoholics are 
they chase sales like they chase a drink. That's probably the best way to put it. So Mindy said he was really good at selling. He was uh, in the publishing industry and he was selling advertising space in magazines and he was just killing it. Uh, so they have a child together and th they love this child. But now his alcohol drink consumption started to change. He started drinking more heavily and Mindy's a little worried. She's, and he says, no, it's just the stress. It's just the stress. At this point, he's making maybe a quarter of a million dollars a year in sales. He's doing really well, working really hard. So she figures it's just the stress. And like many people in this position, the relationship wasn't great. She's worried about his well-being, but she's decided she's got a form of denial going on. She wants it all to work out. She wants to believe the best about him. And that's not unusual for people who are in relationships with alcoholics. They have a certain level of denial going on themselves. So Mindy tells herself, you know what? Let's have another baby. Maybe that'll fix it. Because when they had the first child, Mark had really been there for him. So they have a second child, a girl. And Mark doesn't even make it to the hospital this time. Like Mindy gets to the hospital on her own. Mark doesn't show up until after the baby is born. And his excuse is he had to close a big sale and he was really sorry and that he was separated from his phone. Mindy is devastated. And now she knows something's really wrong. But Mark apologizes, apologizes, apologizes. Oh, please forgive me. I love you so much. Oh, baby, I'm going to do, it's going to be different this time. I promise you. And Minnie's got two kids and Mark's been supporting them and he's been making good money. And so she crosses her fingers and she hopes. And we all know what happens next. Mark loses his job. He gets another job in publishing, but what's happened is the publishing industry has taken a dive. And so now he's having trouble selling advertising. And also his alcoholism is really getting in the way. I mean, nobody wants to work with an alcoholic when their alcoholism is front and center. And he's drinking so much at this point that when he's going to work, he may not be drunk, but he smells like alcohol. There's alcohol coming out of his pores and Mindy can smell it too. And she's saying, Mark, you've got to do something. Mark, you've got to do something. And his sales are going down and he gets fired again. So now their kids are eight and six and he's been fired and they have no money. And Mindy says, Mark, you've got, you, I'm going to leave if you don't do something about this. So Mark goes to rehab and his job pays for it because he was not a bad salesman. It's just a tough industry. He comes out of rehab. He goes to a 12 step program. Mindy's like, yes, everything is going to be good. Another year goes by. And Mark starts disappearing again. And she says to him, Mark, are you going to those meetings? Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm going to meetings. Everything's good. And he starts showing up less and less. And he said, Mark, why are you not home? What's going on? He says, oh, I'm just, I'm trying to pick up my sales. One night he comes home at like two in the morning. She hears this big noise. She gets up and she goes out. And he's crashed into the side of the garage trying to park the car. And the car is trashed, but it's not trashed from hitting the side of the garage. There's a little, there's a tear in that side. The whole car is trashed. He had three flat tires. So the rims are destroyed. There's dings all over the car. The windshield is trashed. And she says, Mark, what happened? And he's too inebriated to say, like he doesn't even know. Mindy's flabbergasted. She tosses him out of the house the next day 
and she files for divorce. I mean, it's pretty tragic, but not unusual. So at this point, the kids have really been damaged by Mark, um, by his irregularity. When he, and when he was drinking, he's behaving badly. There was whole cycles of this. I mean, I'm giving you the curtailed version. And Mindy goes to her divorce lawyer and her divorce lawyer sends her to Rich in Relationship because Mindy is like very, very, very upset. She's furious. She blames Mark for everything. Mark isn't making enough to pay for the household. Mindy has now been unemployed for about 10 years. I mean, she's been a stay-at-home mom. She goes out and gets a job and it's not anywhere. She's got like mad degrees, by the way. She's a super, many super smart, mad degrees, but she can only get an entry level job in the industry of her choice. And she's making just enough to pay the bills. Meanwhile, Mark is living in an apartment and he's like, everything's okay. Don't worry, everything, we're making enough, it's fine. And Mindy comes to me and she's like, oh my God, what am I gonna do? This guy is so awful. My son won't talk to him anymore. My daughter has been in the car with him a couple of times and he's been drunk. I'm afraid to have him go over. I, like, I don't know what to do. And my lawyer says, I have to allow them to have a relationship with him, but I think he's dangerous. And she was feeling like a total and complete victim. And she was also really angry. She's mad at him because he can't fill out the, the um, financials for the attorney. She's mad at him because he's not, uh, they had a hospitalization. He's not co collecting, he's not going to the insurance company to get the money back from the insurance company. And no matter what she does, she can't make him do it. And she doesn't want to do it because she doesn't want to enable him anymore. She's just heartbroken and pissed, really pissed and rightfully pissed. I mean, who wouldn't be angry? And so she got into our program and the first part of our program is to allow her to have that victim experience, allow her to mourn the loss of the marriage. And so she went through the process of writing out all the good things and all the bad things. And we gave a ritual for her where she released the marriage. And then she took her anger and started putting it into action. And so she realized he was never going to file for that medical insurance uh, reimbursement, but she needed the money. So she filed with his insurance company for the medical reimbursement so she could get the money. And even though it was doing it for him, she realized she needed to do that for herself. And then the next step was for her to forgive herself for marrying this guy and him. And what she realized is he wasn't doing this because he wanted to get her. He wasn't doing this to punish her, though it felt very punishing. And she realized that when she married him, he really, there was no saying, predicting that he was going to become an alcoholic unless she had been a professional, which she wasn't. She was just a young lady who was in love. And so she forgave herself and she realized that forgiving him didn't make him right. And it didn't make what he did good. And it didn't justify all the pain that he had caused her children. It just meant that she wouldn't have to carry that resentment anymore and that she could take that energy and focus on her future. And as she did that, she got back in touch with her own values because part of what had been going on there is in order to protect the children, she had been twisting herself up like a pretzel, trying to do everything she, everything she could 
so that they wouldn't be hurt by this guy, making up stories like lying, doing things that were just abhorrent to her. And so part of the forgiveness process was forgiving herself for telling stories to her children and allowing this to go on. Part of her forgiveness was realigning her sense of integrity and making it right with her kids and making it right with her family. She borrowed money from her family and she told them what was going on. And guess what? They were mad at first, but then they forgave her. As she forgave herself, they forgave her. And then she like got her win-win mindset on. And this is really the key. When you're dealing with a toxic personality, particularly an alcoholic, you need to figure out what's gonna be a win for you and what's gonna be a win for them. And with the alcoholic, that's pretty easy. The win for them generally is that they keep drinking and you can't stop them, you can't fix them. There's nothing you can do for them except stop enabling them, number one. And number two, to make sure that when they have access to your children, it's limited and that the damage they can do is minimal. So the next thing she did is she started talking to her, her, uh, her, her daughter because her son refused to have contact with Mark. And she talked to her daughter about, all right, when you're, when you're with someone who's drinking, this is what you need to do. And if you're, if you're with your daddy and you feel unsure, this is what you need to do. And then the next thing she did was she set it up so that he, as much as possible, she would only, he would only see his daughter when he was in her presence. And her daughter was like on board with this because she was honestly terrified at this point of what was gonna happen with her father. She was scared for her father. She was scared of what he was doing. She was scared of what was gonna happen. Um, it was, I, I've got a dog assaulting me here. She, she was, maybe he's sensing the anxiety, right? There was a lot of anxiety. Her daughter was very anxious. And in the end, with her children, she worked out a plan for how they could interact with their father until he gets sober in a way that felt safe. And that was really very minimal, it turns out, because he was drinking an awful lot at this point. And she also, in her plan, figured out how she, where she was not going to enable him. She, in her plan, she figured out how she was going to stand for herself and her children and never compromise her core values again. And that is really the heart of recovering from a toxic relationship. When we're in a relationship with someone who's toxic, we start to lose our sense of self. We get absorbed into them and their problem and their world. And the only way we can recover is to get some space, get some space and rediscover who we are. And when we rediscover who we are, we need to help our children first be safe from that person without finger pointing, if at all possible. In the case of an alcoholic, there's not much you can do. They knew he was an alcoholic. It was too late. The cat was out of the bag. But if the toxic person has some other trait that isn't as obvious, it might be something different. And we're gonna do, uh, next week, we're gonna talk about divorcing a narcissist and what that's about and how you'll see the difference. You know, when, when you're dealing with an alcoholic and the cat's out of the bag and everyone knows he's drinking, the best thing to do is for everyone, including the children, to recognize that he's an alcoholic. And what she did really well with the children is she told them that he had a disease. She said, it's not that your dad is a bad man. The man that I married was loving and caring and a good supporter of his family. The man that I married thought about other people. The man that I married would never drive drunk, much less with you in the car. That's not the man that I married. That man has a disease. 
And until he gets a cure for his disease, you need to be very careful. And when she explained it that way, she no longer made him a bad guy. She made the behavior negative. When she explained it that way, they understood that the daddy that they knew and loved was still in there somewhere. And that's so important for a child. The second that they think that one of their parents is defective or broken, then they're inside of themselves, their model of themselves in some way feels defective and broken. When, you've, when you're the product of something that's defective and broken, you naturally feel like you're defective and broken. Whew, all right, that was a lot. Uh, the story of Mindy and Mark. Of course, that's not their real names. Uh, I, I don't reveal my clients' real names. And if I'm completely honest, I may have mixed a couple of clients together in there, but the, the principles are hold true. And these are this, these stories, the experiences I gave you, these are real life experiences. And even worse, they're happening to hundreds of thousands of people. I mean, I can't tell you. And if you are married to someone like Mark and you want some help, please, please reach out to me. You know, my personal mission is to help families become more functional. And so I have a complimentary discovery call with anyone who wants to talk to me about their family situation. And out of that discovery call, they always get next steps. The next steps might be go to Al-Anon or the next steps might be you know, you really need a different kind of help than I can offer. Or the next steps they might decide is there's work that we can do together. But that call is not a sales call. It's me showing up for you. So you can connect with my calendar by going to bit.ly forward slash end the fight. All one word, E-N-D-T-H-E-F-I-G-H-T. bit.ly forward slash end the fight or please feel free to direct message me or email, email me at rich, my first name, rich at rich in relationship, the name of this podcast, R-I-C-H-I-N-R-E-L-A-T-I-O-N-S-H-I-P, richinrelationship.com. Thank you so much. I hope this has been helpful and stay tuned next week when we talk about divorcing a narcissist.